Before we get started, I just have a couple quick announcements. First, a reminder that the Jungian Psychotherapy Program and Jungian Studies Program are two-year programs in Jungian training, are accepting applications through July 1st. Also, we have our first Spring Gala on May 22nd. It's going to be a YouTube premiere with live chat, and then after that, there will be a uh, social hour over Zoom, and the link will be in the premiere. The link for the premiere is not quite ready. We're just doing some last-minute video editing. Hey, uh, I'm just interrupting myself right here to say it's live now. Uh, so the link is in the podcast episode description and also on our website. Finally, we are doing a fundraiser right now. Um, so if you'd like to participate in our fundraiser, which is why we're doing one episode each week. I was busy this week, so it's a little later than last week. But uh, if you'd like to join our spring fundraiser, please do go to youngchicago.org slash give. Thanks. Welcome to the Anthology Podcast from the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. The Dark Mother and Healing Primal Wounds, interview with Patricia Vesey-McGrew. In this episode, Patricia Martin interviews Patricia Vesey-McGrew, M.A.N.C.S.I.A., Diplomat Jungian Analyst in Private Practice in Cambridge and Rockport, Massachusetts. She is a supervising and training analyst at the C.G. Jung Institute of Boston, where she is the past president and faculty member. Additionally, she is the deputy editor, U.S., for the Journal of Analytical Psychology, a member of the International Association for Analytical Psychology, a member of the Council on Accreditation of AVAP, and a past member of the NAAP Board of Directors. She has presented papers and workshops internationally on such topics as The Dead Mother and The Power of Dreams. She is author of Getting on Top of Thought and Behavior Patterns in Jungian Psychoanalysis, Volume 3. Patricia Martin is a noted cultural analyst, consultant, author of three books on cultural trends, uh, and a graduate of the Institute's two-year Jungian studies program. For full bio, just check the episode notes. Before we get to the interview, I just want to read another submission from a listener. Eva from Australia says, I entered therapy in my mid-30s following a relationship and career crisis. By chance, I found a psychoanalytic therapist who was Jungian in orientation. I'm now in my 40s and transitioning through midlife and a career change, which includes training as a psychotherapist. Jungian psychology has been central to my understanding of self and others. I particularly enjoy listening over reading, and I learned so much from your podcast conversations. Participating in a virtual Jungian community helps me maintain my center, and it expands my inner experience. This is especially valuable as I transition towards a more truthful and honest way of being in the world. When I feel alone, I can more easily lose 
my sense of direction. If you'd like us to know who you are, click the link in the show notes and I'll read your submission on the podcast. You can support this free podcast by making a donation, becoming a member of the Institute, or making a purchase in our online store. Your support enables us to provide free and low-cost educational resources to all. Uh, There's also a link in the episode description to a lecture Patricia Vesey McGrew gave in 2014 called Passion, Obsession, Depression, Images of the Dark Mother. And it's really great. So uh, if you like this interview, please go check that out. In honor of Mother's Day, I recorded this interview with Patricia V.C. McGrew, who talks about the archetypes of the death mother and the dark mother. It may seem like a shadowy topic for a Mother's Day podcast, but as my guest reveals, mothers often get a bad rap for having to overcome hardship and the forces of fate to raise their children. In the case of the dark mother and the death mother, Patricia helps us understand the difference between these two feminine archetypes and how they seep into our unconscious. I learned a great deal from listening to Patricia V.C. McGrew, and I know you will too. Here she is. Welcome to Jungianthology. This is Patricia Martin. I'm a researcher, author, and professional affiliate of the C.G. Jung Institute of Chicago. Today, I'm talking with Patricia V.C. McGrew. Patricia is a Jungian psychoanalyst in private practice in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She is a faculty member and training analyst at the C.G. Jung Institute of Boston, where she is also past president. Patricia is on the editorial board of the Journal of Analytic Psychology, and she presents papers and workshops around the world on the topics we're going to explore today with her, namely the archetype of the dark mother and its power to affect people. Welcome, Patricia. It's just such a pleasure to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much, Patricia, for inviting me. I'm honored to be here. And well, as we've spoken about, this is a very important topic for me. Uh, It's a passion for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell that. I've read some of your work and I've I've listened to some of your recorded lectures uh, and you've you've talked about the archetype of the dark mother and I'd, I'm just to kind of headline this, what kind of mother is she? Well, I speak uh, about two aspects. I speak about the objective dark mothers in the world. And I speak about the archetypal and complex dark mothers, the internal um, mothers um, the complexes that we have in our psyche. So this is, this is the way I, um, I like to look at things. So I like to look at things from a developmental aspect and an archetypal aspect. So first of all, I, I'd like to talk about the objective dark mothers, uh, where um, the images come from. And the, the first image for me, the, the place where I got started on this journey is the, um, the dead mother. And the dead mother is a, um, an image and a reality in um, the waking world, so to speak. She's a archetypal complex image in the psyche. And she also um, is a reality in the life of, uh, unfortunately, many people. 
the dead mother comes from uh, a, an idea of Andre Green. He's a psychoanalyst and he wrote about the dead mother and he started the journey for me and I'm grateful to him. So what happens, I'll give you an example of what happens to a woman who's had a child, connects with the child, loves the child, is engaged with the child, and then some tragedy occurs in that woman's life. Now, uh, one example that I know that's um, very significant, a, a, a woman, uh, my grandmother, was uh, taking her children across the street. She had her new baby with her and one small toddler and a five-year-old daughter. They were crossing the street. She was holding the hands of the five-year-old daughter. The infant was in the crock of her arm and a car came by. She had to let the five-year-old daughter go because the car whipped the child away from her. In an instant, that child was dead. What happened to my grandmother is that she went into a great depression. And because of that, there was no love, no connection, no empathy, no understanding for the young children that were left behind. It was an emptiness for them, a great, great loss. And that's the image of the dark mother. Now it doesn't often happen that dramatically. What can frequently happen is a woman gives birth to a child and then maybe three months later, maybe four months later, goes into a severe postpartum depression so severe maybe that she has to be hospitalized and might be away from her child for four weeks, six weeks, two months. When she returns, the connection is often not there. She has a hard time giving the love and the um, compassion and the attachment to this child. Well, this is interesting to me that you mentioned postpartum depression, because it seems to me that as we become more aware of the problem, which I think everyone would agree is a good thing, because women can seek treatment without stigma, it also strikes me that we're seeing more and more women show up and claim that problem. So probably the dark mother in that case is a broader phenomenon than we might have known otherwise. Is that true? It's very true. It's very true. And, and when I was in Switzerland presenting uh, on the dead mother, a couple of people in the training program there came up to me and talked about their postpartum depression and what happened. And we talked about that very fact that at this time it's starting to be more acknowledged and the severity, women weren't attuned to how severe it could be. And the severity is being acknowledged. We're seeing symptoms and in doing that, 
people can use resources to help with the, the child, with help with their reconnecting with the child. Um, it makes it out in the open, as you said, it's, it's more um, noticeable. So if mothers frame our early relationship to the world, what effect does the dark mother, death mother have on her children? Okay, well, um, may I just mention two other dark mothers before I go into the effects? Oh, sure. Because they're important too. There's a, <laughs> there's a triad here that I use. Uh-huh. Uh, because there's a lot of overlap and I wanna talk about that. Um, of the different kinds of dark mothers. So the other dark mother, one of the others, is the vampire mother. And the vampire mother is the woman who uses her offspring to kind of feed her grandiose self. She must be mirrored constantly, constantly, according to, you know, whatever needs that she has. Her children are there to validate her perception of herself in the world. That's their function. That's their duty. They are food for her distorted self-image. And her passion for mirroring is often experienced as narcissistic rage. If she doesn't get mirrored, she's enraged. And the children suffer from that. Mm. The other, the most, oh, devastating of dark mothers is the Medea mother. She is the woman who suffers for, from a severe lack of empathy, an inability to distinguish the other as separate from herself and possessing a separate identity. She experiences her children um, as self-objects and has great trouble in respecting and tolerating their autonomy. These Medea mothers are prone to rages. And in the background, there's always this anger ready to erupt at the slightest provocation. Very much connected to the vampire narcissistic mother, but with another layer, a total lack of empathy. Totally. Well, that, that would sound like a, an extreme case. Um, it is an extreme case, but it's out there. And the thing that happens in, in my work, this is the thing that I notice. There's clearly been a trauma and someone comes in and there's been a trauma, but they'll say, well, no, I had a fine childhood, no physical abuse no physical abuse, but the trauma is hidden. Mm -hmm. And then when we start to, to look at what happened, when there's no empathy, um, Medea killed her two sons to get back at her husband. Yes. And when, when we kill off life, it has such a, well, it, it's called soul murder. Interesting. Calls it soul murder. So um, that's that's the uh, 
effect that it has that um, it's, it's killing off the joy in life or the capacity for love. You know, it's, it's a crime. So when people turn to you uh, and they arrive in your office, what, what kind of symptoms, if they've had a dark mother or a death mother, what kind of symptoms are they usually presenting to you? Oh, most of the symptoms uh, have a relational quality to them. Uh, occasionally it's a, p- a performance block, but it has to do with um, oftentimes with attachment issues. Um, they do not have secure attachment capabilities. The other thing that's very prominent when, when they come in, any kind of joy or passion for life gets cut off and they feel an emptiness. People with a a dead mother complex often have a kind of internal deadness, an internal emptiness. Um, And that's what a dead mother complex looks like in the psyche. It's an emptiness. It's not a negative mother, it's an emptiness. So when we have mothers um, who are narcissistic and who are sociopathic, we oftentimes end up in ourselves constellating the negative mother. So there's, you know, a mother outside ourselves, but then in our psyches, instead of the positive aspect of the mother complex getting constellated, the negative aspect gets constellated of, of the mother. So does, does it often happen that if one has had a dark mother, one has a complex about one's own motherhood? Does it make it more difficult to be a loving, connected mother yourself? It does. It does. That's, it, the thing that happens, uh, may I talk just a little bit about complexes and archetypes? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it, it's my second favorite thing to talk about complexes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you. Let's dive into the complex. <laughs> <laughs> we have the, you know, we have the objective dark, dark mothers out there and Young has um, his, his complex system, and originally it was called complex psychology, is I think is so brilliant. So we have these splinter psyches in our, our being, in our psyche, it's, and, and they're energy um, forces that disrupt the ego at times. So at the core of these complexes is an archetypal image. And Jung says it's, it's numinous and it's the, the basic structural element of the psyche. It possesses a certain autonomy and um, it's a form. It's an empty form which gets a, has a possibility of representation. So we have 
today we're talking about the mother archetype and the mother complex. So every complex is bipolar. So there's a positive mother complex and there's a negative mother complex. And the positive mother complex, well, all the images you see on the Hallmark cards, those are the positive mothers. <laughs> <laughs> so we all, we all get those on Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Thank God, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so there are those positive mother images out there. And we, there is, you know, Eric Neumann wrote a whole book on the great mother. And there's that, that it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful archetypal image. What happens if you are in relationship with a dark mother, then oftentimes the negative aspect of the mother complex gets constellated inside of you so that it's not I just want to say this because mothers get such a bad rap. The, you know, the internal negative mother is not connected exclusively with the personal mother because it's influenced by environmental issues, other attach attachment figures, and genetic predispositions. Um, and there's been a lot of research on this. So it's not just about the mother. There are many ways that this aspect of the complex inside us gets constellated. And then once it's constellated, it has an energetic vibration and it pulls to itself other accretions. So it can get bigger. Uh, for example, you've, you've had some negative uh, experiences with your personal mother. You go to school and your third grade teacher, oh my goodness, she's cold, heartless, doesn't understand that you have a learning disability. That adds to the complex. That gets absorbed and is another energy part of the complex. So you can see as that goes along, the complex can stay in the negative realm. Um, what happens when someone <clears throat> has a predominant negative aspect to the mother complex, they have a great deal of problems with intimacy. That's the major problem. They, um, they defend against almost every form of intimacy. There, there's a lot of fear, shame, rage, contempt. Um, the emotional needs are oftentimes pushed away and it's an inner tyranny. Um, and unfortunately what happens is that People with that kind of a psychic configuration, they often feel isolated. And sometimes that protects against further injury, but then, um, but mostly you're 
the person is dominated by this sad kind of negative attitude towards life um, and a lack of attachment with other people. So I'm guessing that the real life problems that a person might accrue from being the child of a dark mother is you, you probably have a pretty high divorce rate. You <laughs> might be disenfranchised. You know, you might not be talking to your kids um, for years on end. Uh, you know, there might be other schisms that would show up in somebody's life. Um, and someone might seek out treatment for thinking that that's, that's the problem that they're solving for. Is, is, is that a fair assessment? That's, that's really, that's a good assessment. What, what happens is it, it comes out in many, many different forms. Uh, someone might come in and say to me, my kids only love me for my money. That's all they want from me. There's such um, a rift. There's almost no way to understand what is going on. Uh, because this woman, this man, was so um, deprived of compassion and intimacy that they can't imagine someone could possibly love them because they can't feel the love. And that's part of the problem. There's a kind of defensiveness and uh, a kind of thick wall that prevents them. That's what the negative mother complex does. And that's what hidden trauma does. You know, trauma that happens uh, early life when there, it's not from physical assault, but it's from the unavailability of parents, teachers, whoever in their life, who's ever responsible for the child, the unavailability of those people to comfort and help the child with self-regulation, to help the child with fear, to help the child understand the emotions, to be there for the child. And we think, oh, that's that's not, that, that doesn't happen. That happens so many times in so many little ways that we don't even notice. This researcher in Boston, Ed Tronic, did what is called a still face experiment. And it's, it's just, it's painful. When I show it, oh, when I'm giving a talk, people just cringe. A little baby, is very connected with the mother. The mother comes in and a lot of gooing and gawing and you know, wonderful response from the baby. Then the mother is told to come in and not react to the baby. So she sits there with a still face and the baby, the baby goes through such trauma, gets restless, doesn't know what to do, starts drooling. Uh, turns her head away, and then eventually starts starts crying just from the lack of response. 
So it sounds like is this manifests in adulthood. Um, you, people sound as if it, I'm hearing from you, you know, a, a general lack of resilience. If if you're fear based, if you if the glass is half empty, if you know, if you're prone to feeling as if you can't really connect with other human beings in the world, and you're feeling that emptiness and isolation, you have to be very fragile. Well, there are degrees. Oh, I mean, tell there, me. There, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I'm over here taking notes. <laughs> it's, it's not an either-or situation, and people do develop resilience, and they do make many many attempts at attachment. And the, the reason that brings them in often is because they're not getting what they believe is possible. And yes, there is a certain fragility, but oftentimes you don't see it because there's been a wall built. So there's a kind of defense against being re-injured and you might see some of these people doing great things in the world, but feeling emotionally isolated. Is there an example of someone that you treated, and names unmentioned, of course, but do you have an example of how you approached the, the client? Well, yeah, I do. Um, I'm thinking of someone whom I, uh, I have her permission. Um, she, her mother told her as a child, uh, she was so rejected by her mother because, yeah, I'll start from the beginning. She was rejected by her mother because she was not the little girl her mother wanted. Her mother wanted a little girl who was going to be a debutante. This woman had multiple learning disabilities and she was of a certain age where those were not diagnosed. So she was constantly told she was stupid. She was not an extrovert in an extroverted world. She was an introvert. She wanted to, (laughs) she used to take refuge in a forsythia bush on her property in an attempt to get away from her mother's criticism. And that would be, that bush was her, her temenos. It was her sacred place. Her mother would say things to her like, I am going to have you get a lobotomy. Wow. So she would wake up in the morning, fearful of drinking her orange juice, that her mother could have put a sedative in it and was going to take her to be lobotomized. Her mother told her that people would only love her for her money. She came from a very wealthy family. We have worked for a long time 
time. She's also an incredibly spiritual person. And that's what her calling has been in life. I'm not going to tell you her profession, but um, very deeply spiritual. And we have worked together. We have recognized what happened. We have been able to look at the harm it caused. Her mother eventually um, cut her totally off. She, I, I can say this, she decided to join a Catholic convent and her mother told her she'd rather her be a prostitute than to be a Catholic nun. So she disinherited her and would not even speak to her on her deathbed. Oh my. Yeah, it is it really. But what we ended up doing is working with the self-hatred that went along with this. She assumed there was something radically, radically wrong with her. And we kept looking at her gifts. We kept working on relationship in our relationship, uh, looking at how we could connect and it could be safe. And there, there could be nurturance outside and nurturance inside. It, you know, there were many, many, yeah, shifts <laughs> and ladders, so to speak. Game. Uh, and I'm guessing uh, years. I'm guessing this was not a many six week, years. Right? Many years. But Oh, it, she blossomed, just blossomed and has now really, really wonderful relationships with her children, which she didn't. She came in because she didn't have wonderful relationships with her children and has, she's, everything in her life is a bit different because she sees herself as lovable, not because of anything she possesses, but she sees herself as lovable. And that, that happens. Well, first of all, what a great story that is. And it's inspiring to know that, you know, depth psychology can do something really extraordinary for people, that peeling away of darkness so that that aliveness can shine in someone. I'm wondering if, if there is a life stage or a situation that tends to trigger adult children of dark mothers to seek out treatment. Well, I don't see it as a life stage because I've, I have had people come in at all ages uh, from teenagers, an 18-year-old I saw when I was in Chicago came in and after about three sessions, he said to me, I loved this. I'll never forget it. I want to tell you about my mother. She's Darth Vader. <laughs> you know who Darth Vader is. <laughs> well, he had a handle on it at least, right? <laughs> wow. And our work began then. And so what happens is it usually is a relational issue. 
something, there's a breakup in a marriage, um, there's a problem with children. Uh, one feels, somebody I work with, uh, when I began working with this man, felt totally isolated, totally alone, friendless, bereft. Uh, and not that he hadn't had relationships and he had been married, but he didn't feel connected with people. And, you know, we, there, there's a whole story. He had a dead mother and it was really, it's, it's usually what brings people in. Uh, sometimes it's about, I can't find my path in life. And that might be a, dish, a different issue, but usually when it's a dark mother, it's a relational issue. So can grandparents make a difference in, in a child's life? So for instance, you know, if the mother is observed to be depressed and not attaching to the children, can a grandparent play a role? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when there is this great depression or sometimes addiction with a mother and the grandparents can come in and form a secure attachment with the child so that the child has, and actually, you know, I have seen people where it's the grandparents that have helped them to survive and thrive and blossom in some ways. But it's, it's about the grandparents making a decision, you know, seeing and uh, wanting to help the child the best they can. And the child doesn't need a lot. It needs to know someone is there who sees them, who gets them, who mm -hmm. understands, who has compassion, who loves them. That's what they need. So I ask everyone this question. You are a, a, a trained Jungian analyst, and the training for that is intense and, and long. And I just wonder, how did you find your way to Carl Jung's work and seek training in his theories? Well, it's right now, it's a particularly tender story for me. Uh, when I was 19 years old, um, my husband, who I've been married to now for, well, I'm not going to tell over 50 years anyway. So <laughs> congratulations. He, <laughs> he and uh, a f another man and I all worked at the same hospital and we became, you know, the three of us were like fast buddies. And this other man became our closest friend. And he bought me a, a copy of The Undiscovered Self. So I'm 19, I get this book. He told me all about Jung. He had the collected works and he introduced me. He encouraged me to, uh, to consider training to be an analyst. Um, he was my gateway into Young, and he died. He died seven months ago. 
and it was a loss, <laughs> but he left me such a legacy. He really did. It's, oh, it's wonderful. I, whenever I, I do these presentations, he, he would do all my slides for me. And I'd always say, I want to thank Paul for the slide. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So he sort of was your shepherd. He was. That's he was a good great. story. Yeah. Listen, Patricia, it has been an enormous honor to interview you. You've studied this topic for years and worked with patients and probably changed their lives. So I, I want to ask you, is there anything that you wished I would have asked you or, or, or wanted to say just before we wrap up? The only thing I want to say for everyone who feels um, that there's no hope, I want to say there is hope. There is hope that this negative mother, internalized negative mother, there's hope to uh, have that changed, to find the aliveness in life and the joy. Um, it's there, it's there. And sometimes it doesn't happen in analysis. It can happen in a, a, a very deep friendship that this positive mother can be constellated in the psyche and nurture the person. So that's, that's, what, that's what keeps me going. Thank you, Patricia. It's been a wonderful interview. And I look forward to our paths crossing again out there in the world once the pandemic is over. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Patricia. Oh, it's delightful for me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like as long as you maintain the attribution to the speaker, but please do not change it or sell it. If you like this episode, tell your friends about us or leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about classes, training programs, videos, audio, this podcast, or to find a Jungian analyst near you, visit our website, www.youngchicago.org. Thank you to the 2020 donors who gave at the supporting member level and above. Barbara Anand, Usha and Ashok Beatty, Jackie K. Bryan, Eric Cooper, Judith Cooper, Kevin Davis, George J. Didier, James Fidelibus, John Koroluski, Marty Manning, Diane Sherwood, Deborah P. Stutzman, Deborah Tobin, Alexander Wayne and Lynn Kopp, Gerald Weiner, Karen West, and James Taylor, and Ellen Young. And thank you to everybody else who gave at that level but wishes to remain anonymous. <laughs>